So we're getting through all these useless superpowers and the superpower you are awarded allows you to turn any tool slippery. Oh, that, that sucks. <laughs> Can I turn somebody else's tool or it's, or it's my tools become Anything slippery? you touch, it becomes slippery. Oh if you need. man, that, that absolutely sucks. <laughs> yeah. You know, you know what else sucks? Decon. Decon sucks, but you know what doesn't suck or what, what? can suck a lot less what? is the first line technologies hybrid decod. They are absolutely revolutionizing the process with their bar method, which is blot, apply, and remove using wet and dry decon. Yep, no more rigging hoses. <clears throat> it's it's compact. It's small. It fits right in the back of the cheese car, so it's tiny. Clean, streamlined, but don't take mm. our word for it. Do your own recon at makedeconsuckless.com or visit them at firstlinetech.com, where First Line Tech is making decon suck just a little less. And you know what? Also, speaking of things that don't suck, is our training. Our training doesn't suck. That I have to say, suck. there's a lot of things in this world that I think, you know, you know, I think we could in, improve on, but our training, I, I love our training. I think our training it's, is absolutely phenomenal. Busy year coming up, and why would you want to do this? Because we deliver experience and not just plain old boring training. When we come into train, we are delivering a course that wasn't designed years ago. Everything is fresh. It's fresh takes, emerging trends, and doing this takes a lot of time and effort, but it's worth every second of it. Yeah, trust me, because I'm constantly hearing from Bob, you're not done with that class yet? Really? How much True. longer is it going to take? And I'm like, dude, I'm doing my best. I want this to be perfect. And one of the ways that we make it absolutely perfect is that we're partner with the latest uh, companies that are out there uh, as far as props, technologies, devices, opportunities, meters, uh, to bring the absolute very best to the classroom. We also only take the very best instructors with the exception of that one guy uh, mm. and yeah, but you know, we're working on him. Uh, and they will keep people entertained, they'll keep them engaged, and they will actually walk away remembering the information, which is the most crucial part of training your people. So don't let your t potential go untapped. Choose us as your training partner and embark on a personal and professional growth, growth journey. Contact us now at thehazmatguys.com slash hire us to reserve your spot because the calendar is filling up pretty quick. Welcome. Hello, hello. This is, we're just before the new year. So if you're listening to this, happy new year coming up to you. Yeah. Um, and we just took a heavy turn through the terrorism plot. We figured we'd lighten it up with a little psychological or even like a yeah. little, uh, I don't know. Uh, so, something to make you realize that you can't fuck this up, not even once. <laughs> So it's light. It's a nice light. It's a nice light day. I understand what you mean by light. Yeah, it's <laughs> you got to do it like that. It's um, you can't be on the gas pedal all the time. No, no, you got to you, you got to cruise. Sometimes you get to the top of the hill and you just got to ride down with yeah. no brakes. So uh, I'll get through this stuff quickly, and then we'll, uh, we'll, we'll begin our, our little endeavor. Um, but if you are listening to this, it's only a few days away where we're going to be doing uh, the after-action report. Oh, with Mike Callen. Which, 
Yeah, with Mike Callen showcasing pioneers in the hazmat field. We're going to be doing that live January 3rd, 2024, 19.30 hours Eastern Standard Time. It's going to be a long format, like a Joe Rogan kind of experience thing. No questions are off the table. We can ask him whatever we want. Um, And we are going to be doing this for free. It is going to be Mike Callen, and the comments are on. So come on on and ask your questions that we'll pose to him as well. Speaking of long format, how was the happy hour this this month? Full hour and a lot of fun. Um, I got my uh, I got my chops busted professionally, and I couldn't get off the ropes. It was very funny, <laughs> very funny. Uh, if you want to know more about it, come on into the happy hour if you're a specialist. But it's it was a lot of fun. That one was good. Yeah, I, I heard I missed a good one. Yeah. And so, um, and then conferences, conferences are coming up. up. Yeah, what uh, yeah. what are we looking at for the year? Pretty much for the Let's, right. I mean, we've got stuff booked out all the way through December. Yeah, uh, Connecticut, Wamer, uh, New England, Omra, which is the Ontario, Michigan, Cold Zone, South Carolina, and that's about it for right now. But I know there's more in the, the, the hops that we haven't just got uh, uh, approved or the classes for. So a lot of good stuff coming. Always is. Always is. I'm excited for New England. They're gonna they're doing big things, turned into a regional conference from a state conference. It should be I'm 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 excited for them this year. Yes. So the topic, the topic of the day is why do we have to win all the time? I, I don't know. Consistent like Monopoly? <laughs> like what are we no. what are we talking here? Because I mean we're just getting I'm I'm getting off of you know a week and a half with the kids. We played plenty uh, of games and I made yeah. sure I won every single time. So I think I understand where you're going with with this. This show is about the dichotomy of consistent success versus the risk of a single failure and it has this materials response. Yeah, where there, we have to win every time. Every time. Every time. And there's uh, what, what I don't know, you, the bridge builders paradox. Uh, this yes. kind of lands in the bridge builders paradox, right? <laughs> Where you can you can build bridges your entire life and never be called a bridge builder. Suck one cock. You're a cocksucker <laughs> the rest of your life. So this kind of lands within that. And there's all different kind of ways of saying it in. The <laughs> hey, where'd Brian come from? <laughs> oh, that was oh. HR negative. OK, so. Yeah. <laughs> But this was this is so true. This is even true in the fire service, right? We used to always say you're only as good as your last job, right? Like you could be amazing, be amazing, be amazing, mess up once, man. That is what that is what you have to to live for. And and why do we think like this? Because thinking like this allows us to act as though we have a zero tolerance. There is a this is a zero failure you know, uh, endeavor as things become more and more risky, there is greater consequences for the things that, that occur because of our mistakes. So we try to have that kind of that, that, that razor thin margin of, all right, like where can we mess up? Cause we have to be able to mess up, right? We only learn from messing We're human. up. We're human, right? So, you know, where, are the times that we look at a, at a situation and go, this is an absolute, we cannot mess this up. And then where are times it's like, hey, you know what? I kind of want to play with this idea. Let's see how this rolls out. So I think what we really need to understand as technicians is how do we cultivate the resilience needed to face the stress of this incident that I'm at right now is a zero fail incident. Like there cannot be a screw up on this. 
I like how you said that because it is <clears throat> resilience. I would even say the word grit. Grit. That ability you know to saying? hold like it not, together when shit's falling apart. <laughs> and, and it is one of those things where... I, and then on the other side of this thing, I think there's an analysis paralysis, which I see a lot, uh, where you know teams that maybe don't have the reps start to analyze things and when they come to grips with I'm sending two guys down range in a potentially something that's so badass that it requires you know they're like they they're never comfortable with the go right you know and listen I, I everybody that's listening to this knows what we, we do we, we are dealing with things like biological agents and radiological agents and chemical agents and we as technicians we go past that <laughs> line of of um, where it's safe versus unsafe, right? And so you got to be comfortable with these kind of decisions, I think. Yeah, I think it's, uh, I think what makes it interesting, <clears throat> not only on a, like, a team aspect, but also on a national aspect, is that there are so many different, I guess I would say, like, a primary responsibility for each team that could differ from team to team. So if uh, if you take something that me and Bob very rarely went to, right, we very, very rarely went on, I don't know, what would be, you know, like a, a major, major manufacturing industrial complex, right? We didn't, there's not a whole lot of major manufacturing happening in, in, in the city where we came from. And we arrived on one of those, we would kind of be like, oh, this is a first for us. And we would we would kind of be a little bit, you know, wary about what we did and how we did it because we 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 don't do it a lot. But you take a place like Houston, right, or, you know, some areas in New Jersey where it's insane industry, Louisiana, um, and this is what they do. This is their their bread and butter. So they're going to step off and they're going to act like it's it's nothing because to them it isn't anything right. Industrial accidents right. on their ends are perfectly good. I personally never went on any kind of FEMA deployment. Bob went on like 40 FEMA deployments. So if you took me and you stuck me in a FEMA situation, there might be a little like, I need to figure this out. I need to da-da-da. Whereas Bob's going to just, you're going to just jump right in and you're going to do your, your FEMA thing. So understanding the job is, I think, the, the first and foremost. Because if you're doing things a lot, then, you know, you also, what's the best way to describe it? I think we kind of have this conversation. The thought process that I'm running down is, that conversation that we have where it's like, okay, if you do A a lot, do you drill on it? Or do yeah, you drill on this. B where you don't do B a lot? And and obviously it's not a well only do one or the other. It's it's a balancing act because the stakes tend to be high, right? We are high risk uh, low frequency operations. That's pretty much what hazmat is. For anybody that hasn't heard that term, low frequency, high risk, it means it's not something that happens a lot, but when it does, there's huge consequences for things when they go wrong. So that tends to be the reality of the situation that, that, that we're sitting in. So when we do have one of these high risk, whether it's high risk to the public, high risk to ourselves, 
high risk to our team, uh, we have to start to formulate game plans and we have to work within the, the set of tools that we have. And sometimes those set of tools can only be cultivated by things like training by, you know, running off of previous experiences. So we ha in cultivating that kind of resilience, we have to draw back on what we do know and apply it to what we don't know. I, I even think like a lot of that, what's dangerous is contextual. You know, if you were the, uh, the emergency team in like Chernobyl, you know, you know, like... I'm not even saying Chernobyl, like, because that was a calamity, but like something like you're, aren't, aren't you're, all you're disasters calamities. Like, I, I guess in reality, are. right? When hazmat arrives on scene, when is it not? And like, think of the big things that have happened, right? You got, like you said, Chernobyl, Bipol. What about just recently that um, Palestine uh, rail crash? Like, we oh. are approaching things when they are calamities. No, but I'm, I'm even making the point of of. If I'm on a team that doesn't see things like a fuel spill is kind of like dangerous to us, but I might be on another team where I go and, you know, I go and deal with spent nuclear rods on a daily basis to which team A would be like, that is incredibly dangerous. Right. And I'm like, yeah, but I do it all the time. It's right. kind of like a thing, you know? So like there are some notable hazardous materials and like Mike was saying, like Bhopal and, and Chernobyl and stuff like that, where you got to kind of kind of put into perspective of where you are. Could you imagine pulling up on on a scene like like Chernobyl? Like, how do you? I mean, in hindsight, we understand that it was this horrific event, but I don't think they would have realized that going into it. Like, they didn't. They would not have been able to grasp the scope of what they were walking into. I'm sure they did pretty yeah. quickly, right? But a walking on scene, I highly doubt that that they did that. Same with the same with the bull pole. Honestly, same with any any train or 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 a rail incident like how do you start that decision making process under the pressure and the pressure that goes beyond your own welfare right that pressure of of, of turning around and going if something happens it's going to affect the public for decades to come people people outside of my generational team. generations stuff. right like chernobyl is a literally a generational thing and i think once they understood the consequences of that that's when you saw the heroism of the firefighters and the first responders at chernobyl where they then understood the dangers and they were able to turn around and go i have to do this because there is a i'm protecting something much larger uh than myself and i think that that god that's got to be how mm. how you come to how you have the grit like you said that resilience to be able to stay calm and control under those kinds of pressures where that's the extreme. You understand that you are putting yourself in harm's way for the public. You know what? I was I was driving on a country road recently with my son and I said, uh, you know, what do you do if you see a deer, you know, on the road and it's nighttime? What do you do? You swerve left or you swerve right? And he's like, uh, I guess right. And I'm like, you hit the deer. Like that's the point. And he's like, well, how do I know that I would do that if, you know, if it happens? I'm like, because you're thinking about it before it happens. You know, if you don't have a plan, you are going to go right or left because you didn't think that there was an option of going through. And so, like, we deal with unpredictable scenarios. This is like the gambler's fallacy. 
right? Where I say to you, Mike, uh, we flipped this coin 50 times and it came up heads. What is it going to be the next time? You're like, oh, clearly it's going to be tails. It has to be because it has to flip the other way. And you're like, every time it's a 50 50 shot. It doesn't matter the string theory. Like on the roulette table, they always put like, oh, the last rolls. It's like, that's a total marketing thing. That's just suckers. But Every roll is fresh. It, it makes me wonder, though, right? Because if you look at that from a different, like, let's take the, the roulette for a point of view. And and this can also go, as weird as this doesn't sound like it fits into the conversation, it kind of does. Because when we look at disasters from our point of view, like a failure of a firefighter or a disaster right. that takes a life, for every one life that's taken, there were eight almosts. Right. And then, you know, when you look at that disaster math. So so let's look at it from that point of view. We have the roulette table. And yes. So what is it? Thirty two numbers on a roulette table. You got a one in thirty two. I think it's thirty two. One in thirty two chance of hitting a number or let's even say 50 50 for red and black. Right. And it's hit red eight times. Well, yes, the next roll is 50 50. But there's also kind of isn't there a set of circumstances where you turn around and go, what is the probability of rolling nine times in a row? Oh, yeah. I'm talking about, yes, you're totally right. Right. You're totally right. So if you look at it like, and this is almost this kind of breaking down of probability, it's very similar to what we saw in people trying to understand all the information coming from COVID, right? Where they're turning around and they go, well, masks help. But then somebody wears a mask and as an individual, they get infected and they're like, well, the mask didn't help me because people are not parsing through the probability of large numbers and the probability of individual. I, I will I will make going back to your low frequency high risk thing um and i know we've mentioned this on previous episodes i just don't remember the numbers uh there was a gentleman out there named gordon graham uh california highway patrol and he was a risk guy and he said that you know the, the hard drive you have in your head uh only uses past experiences to make the next move successful and so if you're going to a unique I don't care how often you go to a fuel transfer or whatever. Everyone is slightly different. So the program that is in your head might not completely carbon copy lay over the, situ- the situation that's in front of you. And so every time you have to go out the door, a new program has to be developed. Right. For the new for the new circumstances for the new circumstances that are in front of you, which makes that whole concept of unpredictability and challenges what you were saying is so difficult. And th- what you did with your son is exactly what we need to be doing, right? Because the only way you're going to be able to make decisions under pressure is to actually sit down and 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 beforehand run through scenarios. Because like Bob said, that hard drive is going to flip through and it's going to be like, oh, I got the file. I know what to do. And even training like tabletops, right? As as mundane as the tabletop training tends to be, if you have if you hit a scenario that is similar to a tabletop that you've done, your brain's yes. gonna flip through and be like, ooh, ooh, we've done this before. I have the card for this. And that makes critical decision making where things are time sensitive and high pressure, it allows you to um, start some. It's like a starting point. Your brain turns around and goes, "Ooh, ooh I, I know this little bit of information." Yes. And then, like a like a crystal growing in like a a candy rock jar, you it builds off of that, and then suddenly you have your structure and your organization. This used to drive me up the wall 
because we would we would say at a scene at a training at a thing uh, all right what if a firefighter goes down especially to the 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 rescue side of the house we'd say what if a firefighter goes down in a hazmat uh type operation right and i would be like they'll be like almost universally like we'll figure it out no no like the thing is is like okay just discussing like everybody's out been out there and played the part of the firefighter that's lost or i'm needing uh, you know we're gonna go find joe well how many times you played the part of joe like what is your plan if you get into a pickle and you say i am in a problem i can't just wait for the team that's theoretically coming in what is my play and just the discussion of playing it out in your head maybe not practicing or actually physically doing but saying it to yourself is what that, Mike's saying is putting that program right. seed. And that's the that's the bare minimum you should be doing is talking it through. You should be out there, you know, b- play the victim. What are you going to do if you go down? As a firefighters, we did that. What would you go do if you, if you go down? Okay, you got your mayday. Uh, there was a time. That you would clip, you know, your 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 SCBA between your legs to make things easier if you could, right? right? Like you walk through all of all of these scenarios, and now we need to do that under pressure as officers, incident commanders. And you may turn around and be like, "Yeah, but I'm just a firefighter. I'm not making those decisions. Mm-hmm. I'm going to reach across this microphone and slap you if you say that because you are the, you are the one making the decisions." You just don't realize it yet because your officers and your chiefs, if they don't have hazmat experience, they're looking to you to make that decision to help guide them through. And one of the most important things about being on scene and talking to chiefs is to make sure that the communication is always good. So how do we make sure we have good communication? Well, the first thing I would pick up is a a fresh crack that box open and get one of Cavcom's new talk through your ear 5000s. It is the latest, greatest. If you didn't get Cavcom's new talk through your ear 5000 for Christmas, you're a chump. <laughs> it's I we got it and then we had we to did. give it back. <laughs> so yeah. annoyed. So annoyed. <laughs> but why? Like why are we so because it's so lightweight, it's so compact, it needs no batteries. Uh it is powered by your radio and it works with any SCBA ensemble. And I am telling you people, uh you know, we, we have products come on the show and there's tons of times that we get something and then we send it back to the manufacturer and we're like, Nope, this isn't good enough to bring on air. But this is literally the the clearest communication device that we have ever gotten to play with on the market period yeah and so you can listen to the demo of it uh on a podcast that's either coming out this week or next week or whatever week but this talk to your ears 5000 keeps your required components to a minimum all you need is your radio cavcom's oversized push to talk control unit and the universal fit ear set it's that simple so go to cavcom's website Go purchase a million of these things and tell them that Bob and Mike sent you over there to do that. Now, that part of it, the psychologic, the psyche of it is important because in order for us to consistently perform under pressure, you have to consistently make the right decisions and mitigate risks. That's the name of the game. Okay, so right? how do you turn around and make the right decisions? Right? So you're 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 walking up 
let's just kind of let's break that down, right? From from a oh. a I'm gonna walk into a classroom, right? Because it really does all start with training. So, what kind of mindset do you have to have? as a student walking into a classroom to be able to consistently make the right decisions. And then what you said at the end, which is effectively manage the risk. How do you bring those two things together? Like as a student, how do you approach that situation? I think you have to come in with the mindset of I'm going to throw my best idea out and I plan on getting it chopped down or at least modified. Mm. You, you know, if you walk in there being like, I have the answer and some guy goes, why don't you just do it like that? And you're like, I'm going to smash this blood, this, this square <laughs> peg right, in right, hole right. because I said so. Right, like, it's I like, want to do it my way, damn it. Right. So like, OK, so you have this this um, time and dose type thing. This is like the, you know, the Pythagorean theorem. If one goes up, the other one goes. It, it's inversely proportional. Right. So if I could minimize my risks. I had therefore made a better play. And if I make a bad play, I have higher risks. You get what I'm saying? It's like kind of like a, that's how I read these scenarios. So I can do a lot of that environmental controls. And we've talked about this many times. Is like I can do things to scenes to make my risks, my risks go as far down as possible, meaning that I have a lot of a more wiggle room on my uh decision side right but i think when we're when we're walking into a classroom i think we need to have that kind of that psychological mindset of this is going to be a catastrophe if i don't do it right like we oh, yeah we we turn around and we understand that that i have to win this game Right. Like this game that I'm playing right here and now, I don't have any other choice but to win. When you look at practices by like the Secret Service, right, they call that it's a it's a a zero lose game. Like you cannot lose even one time. Now, we've got a little bit of wiggle room right? because we've got lots of different decisions. And sometimes, you know, things can we can think it's going wrong. We can do something that we think is going to go right. And then all of a sudden it kind of starts to veer in the wrong direction. And we need to catch that ahead of time uh, because we we don't want those catastrophic consequences. Uh, and I think that's where your evaluation part of your decision making comes in. Like we can never once just turn around and, and say, "Ooh, I know what to do. We're going to do this, implement it, and then just walk away. Because we don't know if something's going to turn out right. Like how many times have we punctured a gas tank to drain it? And then how many times have we punctured the trunk by accident? Yeah, it <laughs> it's happened. <laughs> I it heard it go and I'm like, oh, that's the tire. <laughs> that's the spare in the trunk. <laughs> so even like this mindset even can be attributed to things that we do all the time and on a regular basis over and over and over again. I like that because and just so everybody's kind of on the same page here, we're not saying that you have to physically perform every single possible variation but the conversation should be brought up just like the deer in the car thing. If, if, if that was not discussed that there is an option to do this, the, the initial jerking reaction would be left or right. Right. Right, right. Because we, we're, we're looking at, at a team sport. 
right? Where everybody right. has to kind of play the game. And if and if that, that stage for discussion isn't set, like you said, things can go awfully weird. Now, that whole game of discussion can lead into multiple other categories because, you know, you know that there's people on your team that say the dumbest things on a regular basis, right? Like, no, seriously. You, 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 you have that guy and he comes up to you with, and he's like, Bob, I got this idea. And you're like, oh my God, I got to sit and listen to this, right? Yeah. But as somebody that was, you know, the, one of the, the more senior people on the team, you open up the discussion and you say, okay, listen, we're all going to listen to this. And I can confidently say that even if the dumbest guy on the team, if his ideas are never taken into consideration, I have seen dumb ideas blossom into good ideas through group discussion where like there's one little part of what he said that has like relevance to it and you can like pick that apart and pull it out and be like hey look at this like little golden nugget in this pile of shit like what can we do with this little golden nugget and then great ideas explode from that so that opening that setting the stage for discussion is so important whether you're a chief understanding that the incident command system fails in hazmat runs because information doesn't properly get to you so you need to then set the discussion to be able to say i'm going to have direct access to my lower firefighters and talk to them directly instead of going through the telephone system Uh, or you're a lower end firefighter trying to get a point across to somebody that is several ranks above you that under normal circumstances you would never talk with Uh, i i setting the stage for discussion is absolutely vital in bringing everybody together to formulate that game plan. And Bob's little index, he Mm. might have a card in that index that nobody else does. And we won't know it if we don't all try to come together and be like, I don't have a fucking clue what's going on. Anybody know what to do? (laughs) Good point. Now, just for everybody out there in internet land or wherever you hell are, uh, this was anticipated to be a single episode. But obviously, we're not even through halfway through this this outline. So um, we will continue this endeavor. But if you are facing chemical spills, waste disposal, or environmental changes, SMR Rapid Response offers expert solutions. Reach them in Virginia, Maryland, North Carolina at 800-248-5816 or smrrapidresponse.net. And as long as you're reaching out to people, don't forget the Industrial Emergency Council, which is a not-for-profit led by experts providing diverse response options and training for over 40 years. They collaborate with fire departments. They collaborate with public agencies, the military, private sector, an absolutely phenomenal not-for-profit training group. Visit them at iectraining.org or call them at 650-508-9008.